Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling, every day I'm hustling. And welcome. You are listening to the Hustle Points NBA show. I am your injury replacement all-star, Rudy St. Clair, and today is the very first show of the new 2020 NBA season, uh, as it has just begun today, February 20th. If you uh, hear that background noise, don't mind it. It is only my chinchilla rolling around in his cage. Uh, I am well established now in my new home here in my college town, going back to school. Um, that explains my whereabouts for the past month or so. We'll get a little bit more into the meta towards the end of the show. Uh, we're mostly going to be talking about basketball today, believe it or not, because uh, February 20th is the day which the season started today, of course. And uh, as we all know, at the beginning of every NBA year, we vote on who the best players are and then have all of those players play against each other in a game at uh, All-Star Weekend. And there's this whole festival beforehand where people from all around the world come to watch NBA players celebrate the start of a new season. Uh, that event was just this past weekend. I had a really great time enjoying it. We're going to be talking a little bit about that today, uh, but we're going to be talking mostly about my Grizzlies because just by proxy of All-Star Weekend, there was a lot of grizzliness in All-Star Weekend, uh, even though not a single Grizzly was participating in any event. Now look, if you wanted preseason coverage of this NBA season from Hustle Points, I'm sorry, all right? I just don't do it on principle. I know in the past I have, but I'm a changed man, okay? I just can't waste my time, or your time mostly, uh, bothering to cover games that don't even count for anything in the end. I mean, sure, the... The preseason games that happen between like the middle of October as opposed to the beginning all the way up through Christmas and, and even up until the All-Star break. I mean, up until the All-Star weekend. Uh, it's not a break if the season hasn't started. Uh, I know those technically count towards some sort of record as far as uh, determining who gets into the postseason, the real, real NBA season. Like right now we're in the real NBA season, but the postseason, April, May, June, that's the real, real season. So these preseason games, they, they count. I get it. But the season hasn't started until now. The Grizzlies play the Kings tonight. I hope we win. I got a feeling we won't. I can't help but think that John Morant had a little bit too much fun at All-Star Weekend. Because uh, he was tweeting like a motherfucker uh, Saturday night as the dunk contest really was incredibly entertaining, very melodramatic, with a uh, little bit of micro-drama inserted in there with D-Wade maybe, maybe not uh, skewing the competition in order to break a tie, which was agreed to happen, in order to give the award of 2020 All-Star Slam Dunk Champion to Miami Heat member... Derek Jones Jr. Airplane Mode, the human pogo stick. Uh, he got a much cooler nickname when he went to Miami. Did anybody notice that? When he played in Utah, he was the human pogo stick. But now, he is Airplane Mode. 
I wonder why that is. It's almost as if Utah isn't cool. And Miami is. But John Morant had a good time at All-Star Weekend, tweeting about how he's probably not going to be in the dunk contest in the future because of how badly the judges seem to be fucking this up. Uh, the dunk contest is a really weird, like, experience for an NBA fan, because if you're casual, it's either going to incredibly underwhelm you or incredibly overwhelm you most of the time, but if you're a real, a real aficionado, a real connoisseur of NBA basketball, then you'll know that even the bad dunk contests are still good. E even the best contests are kind of bad. There are plenty of people around the world who can dunk way better than most of the guys who are in the dunk contest year after year. But those guys can't hoop. Those guys just dunk. We're watching hoopers try to dunk. And they gotta force themselves to get creative, and sometimes they fail. Sometimes they do. That opening dunk for the night, where Dwight Howard did a 360, I believe it was referred to as a Statue of Liberty dunk, where he posed midair, basically, before completing the spin and dunking it down. He did it with so little velocity that people found it underwhelming, but me, a big Galaxy Brain NBA fan, knew and understood that that was a highly technical and very difficult dunk. So, much respect to Dwight Howard. I really enjoyed his dunks. Uh, the Kobe tribute was not as corny as it could have been, so I really did enjoy that. Uh, makes me curious as to how Dwight Howard feels about Kobe Bryant's death, really. Because, you know, they have, they have a storied past. They really do. You know, soft, all that. Really, really piques my interest. We, we've been hearing lots of Kobe Bryant stories lately. Uh, Speaking of which, you know, I, I didn't do any Kobe Bryant content when the tragedy struck. I didn't want to feel like I was capitalizing on it, so I did not capitalize on it. Uh, so if any of you expected some sort of vivid Kobe reactionary piece from Hustle Points, uh, you know, just follow me on Twitter at NBA underscore Rudy. You might get that there. Uh, in micro doses, uh, with a you know a little tweets here and there, or uh, maybe someday I'll publish a a full blown extended take in the format of a video essay or something similar uh, on the YouTube channel because this this is going to be a YouTube channel. I really wanted this season where I'm covering the actual current events of the year. To me, shows that come in a video form where I'm pacing around in front of a green screen, I have cool motion graphics, but setting all that up is taking a little bit more time than expected because of many circumstances, and so I apologize. In the future, shows like this will be in video format, so be sure to go subscribe on YouTube. Uh, just search Hustle Points. You can even just Google Hustle Points, it'll take you there. I, uh, part of the reason I chose Hustle Points was because of its natural search engine optimization, so. As a guy who really doesn't know anything about that stuff yet, it helps to have something that is already a pretty easily uh, tied down search term. So anyway, John Morant had lots of fun over the All-Star Weekend tweeting about how he's not going to be dunking. But I don't think he would have felt that way if he was an actual All-Star, because frankly, he would have been too happy. He had a lot of fun in the Rising Stars Challenge, throwing hella lops to Zion there at the end, his former AAU teammate. Uh, there was this great little moment 
where Ja tried to do a behind the back move midair prior to dunking. Uh, he missed the dunk as many of his best dunks are misses. And Jaron Jackson could be caught in the photograph just galloping for joy at the possibility of him slamming this in. And that is my new wallpaper. I'm very pleased with it, quite frankly. So, Ja Morant not being in the All-Star game might contribute to his bitterness uh, because he got to show off his dunking prowess in the Rising Stars Challenge on Friday night, which is when that is, right? That's on Friday? Right? Fuck, I don't know. I think, it, I think it's on Sunday. Who knows? I can edit this out because I have ultimate power over this show, as it is mine, you know? Editorial power is nice. I have that over the Hoops cast now. I'm, I'm the editor there. If you uh, don't subscribe to Rusty Buckets Emoja 99 on YouTube, you should. I am now the full-time editor of their podcast, so shout out to them for giving me the opportunity. I uh, appreciate the hell out of you guys. Really do. Go check out Hoopscast. While you're there in the App Store, go check out uh, Hustle Points, our page, of course, and give us a rating five stars preferred write a review it really helps it's like the thing that could help the most if uh you feel like being extra charitable and subscribing and rating two podcasts do it to hoops guys too john morant was a damn snub and i can't help but think that devin booker is only in it because he has had more experience but experience is not merely quantitative People often talk about experience in terms of quantity, but rarely do we discuss experience in terms of quality, because what is and is not a quality experience is very, very debatable. Hard to tie down that concept. Super imprecise. But bear with me here. Devin Booker. Uh, never been on really much of any way of a winning team. Like at all. I don't even know if he's ever played a game on a team where they're above 500. Now, there might be some small windows of time in which the Suns teams which he has played on managed to eclipse 500 for a small portion of the season and then inevitably fall back below 500. Um, and you could say, yeah, it's not Devin Booker's fault. He's doing all he can. And you could also say, yeah, I have a built-in bias as being a big-time Grizzlies fan and, you know, Hating on Devin Booker is fun. So let's try to negate bias as much as possible, even though it's something that cannot be done. And strictly speak in objective measures, if you will. I hate the phrase objective because, you know, humans don't have access to objectivity, but we like to pretend we do. But let's just pretend for a little while and look at the per 100 numbers between Devin Booker and John Morant. Now, net rating, uh, sort of most sum total of all these numbers, uh, how good is he on offense minus how good is he on defense? Devin Booker is better. He is a, has a net rating of four points higher. Uh, so that is, that is significant. And he's also a significantly better scorer at plus 7.4 points per game relative to John Morant. Now, if you don't know per 100, I suppose I should have said this moments ago, but if you don't know per 100 negates pace. It is basically the average expected outcome of this player's statistical output for over the course of 100 possessions. So 
If you take all of these numbers and slide the decimal point over to the right, right? No, over to the left a couple times uh, to get it down to one, you could say that this is the expected outcome for one possession. You know, negates pace, uh, negates uh, differences in minutes. Uh, so it's a really effective tool for player comparison across the same era. So while Book is plus 7.4 in points, Jaw is plus 2.7 in assist. Now that means that it's a minimum 5.4 points generated from that. So really, and that is just a minimum, like the absolute bare minimum. That means none of these assist are threes. Uh, none of his passing that doesn't otherwise turn into assist converts into free throws. Uh, none, none of the other little intangibles that having higher assists uh, seems to indicate can be factored into this when I say when you consider assist and points, Devin Booker only generates a maximum two points more per 100 possessions than John Morant. And then you go to total rebounds, it's it's a total wash. You go to the rate at which they get free throws. Devin Booker likes to live at the line a little bit more. He gets about two and a half more free throws a game. And he likes to chuck a lot more threes at about 3.7 more three-point attempts per 100 possession. I said per game when I said free throws, I meant per 100. Devin Booker shoots three-pointers at a 110% clip relative to to John Morant, meaning that he takes more than double the number of three-pointers than John Morant. Uh, this means, uh, you know, just a little bit at least. I mean, do you value chucking? Is that is that a skill in and of itself? I mean, you could say that Steph Curry is a chucker and pretty much the best chucker of all time, no, no doubt about it. But uh, when you're Steph Curry, it's a little bit different. Is Devin Booker on the Stephen Curry level of chuckery? Let's look. When we go to their shooting splits, they're actually damn near identical. Uh, they both shoot 49% from the field and 36% from three. And then when you get to the line, Devin Booker is a little bit more comfortable. He shoots 92%, very good at the line, whereas Jaw is at 78. And then when you get down to the nitty gritty, get into advanced statistics, I'll just give you the one. No, we won't get into too many more numbers here. I don't want to be the analytics nerd on here talking hoops. Okay, it matters, but it's not the only thing. So we're just going to use one advanced statistics, and that is usage rate. Now, the usage rate for Devin Booker is also higher at an additional 3.5%. It is actually a 29.7% versus 26.1%. Uh, these are both pretty high usage rates, as they are both the primary ball handlers on their team. Uh, but Devin Booker gets a little bit more opportunity and thus produces a little bit more points, in theory, when we're being as charitable as possible. Now, we haven't even talked about defense at all yet. And let's, 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 let's talk about it. Let's use our eye test here. Uh, I'm not even going to give you like steals and blocks numbers or, or tell you their defensive ratings or any shit like that. I'm just going to tell you what I see, which I think is a, a very effective method of judging defense. Devin Booker is pretty good on ball. Uh, this take is can be reinforced by uh, Thinking Basketball. Uh, they, he's really excellent over there. You should check out Thinking Basketball on YouTube. Look up Devin Booker, uh, Thinking Basketball, and that video will come up. He makes excellent points about Devin Booker. One of them is that he is a good on-ball defender. I've talked about in the past how good Thinking Basketball is and how I uh, conceived of this take slightly before I 
watched that video, I swear to God, I'm not just repeating things I hear online. And then you have a jaw off ball, a little bit better than Devin Booker on ball. So a little bit of a wash. Devin Booker has more length, and so a little bit more versatile, whereas jaw, uh, you can get around screens. You know, for a little guy, he's effective. He's not a great defender. He's 6'3 in shoes. <laughs> I mean, when I saw him, you know, in person, I was like, I had like a face-to-face -face type distance with him when I got my sunglasses autographed. He really didn't have that sort of stature of, a, wow, you're an NBA player. You're a really tall guy. He felt like a regular dude. So he's not insanely giant like the six and a half feet tall Devin Booker is. So he doesn't have to just rely on that length. He has to really think and engage and try to get around screens. He can't rely on being able to make up for it. Although I suppose he can with his athleticism because he can definitely explode and catch a block here and there. Ultimately, I think defense is just sort of a wash between the two. And so when you break down the numbers statistically uh, on their offense, they're really also pretty goddamn similar. And then, you know what? When it comes down to it, John Morant is on a better team, a playoff team at that. The Suns are not and have never been. Not with Devin Booker, at least. And so, with John Morant on the Grizzlies, leading the team nonetheless, not just being a feature, but leading the team unequivocally, being a major league leader out there at just 20 years old, I think it deserves to be an all-star. It would be incredible to have a player make the all-star game his every year of his career, because John is that type. He is special. Super special. I mean, this guy is already a superstar. I love John Morant. I really do. It's not just the dunks. It's not just the flashiness of the passing. It's everything about his game. He has elite control. He is just an outright better basketball player than Devin Booker. And just because Devin Booker has five years in the league under his belt and a, you know, a second contract, I don't think that warrants him being an all-star on its own when all other things are equal. John Morant is a winning player on a playoff team who, frankly, is also more fun than Devin Booker. If you want to throw in fun as a factor, Devin Booker is just going to come in and shoot a bunch of meaningless threes where John Morant's going to come in and try to do some dunk with a crazy behind-the-back move on the way up or something. He's going to throw half-court alley-oops to whoever he wants. He's They're going to be right on point because he's so talented. I, I'm just a little salty that John Morant was snubbed because the Grizzlies are really fucking good. And yeah, Maybe it's not just John Morant that makes the, the Grizzlies good. It's the Grizzlies that make the Grizzlies good. There's Jaron Jackson Jr., there's Brandon Clark, and there's also the less obvious, DeAnthony Melton, who is so amazing. I mean, I feel ashamed for not knowing who this guy was when we traded Javon Carter for him, which, thank God we did. I mean, Javon Carter relative to DeAnthony Melton, not even close. DeAnthony Melton is a beast. Beast, beast on defense. I mean, he affects the game as much as, dare I say, Tony Allen. Or at least as much as a any perimeter defender on the Grizzlies since Tony Allen. At least. I think that's an accurate statement. I don't feel too out of line suggesting that DeAnthony Melton is the most impactful perimeter defender on the Grizzlies since Tony Allen. There are so many qualifiers in that take, it's not even hot. If anything, it's... Not even lukewarm. It's just a take. Okay? Nothing hot about that. So DeAnthony Melton is awesome. He's not just a defender. He's a playmaker too. Unlike Tony Allen, he can make a layup. Love that about him. He can also make a three here and there. 
We traded away Jay Crowder, uh, who I regret not getting his jersey. Uh, I also regret not getting an Andre Iguodala jersey, even though it would have been a Tony Allen number nine. Uh, I don't know how that number isn't actually retired yet. Kind of blows my mind that when we just put the Iggy jersey up on the store for shits and giggles, I guess, just because we had to. I think we passed the certain period in the season, which all players are definitely on their teams now or whatever, whatever time window that needs to be crossed. I think it's December 15th now where players that were assigned in the previous season are eligible to be traded. I think that coincided with them needing to be assigned a Jersey number. And as Iggy had not been assigned a Jersey number all year to see a number nine, Nick dollar Jersey pop up on the store out of nowhere. Very surprising. Hence why I regret not ordering one. We traded him, Solo, and Jay Crowder for Justice Winslow and Gorgie Dang. Uh, man, oh man, Gorgie Dang is so good. But let me just talk about that move as an example of how great our front office is and why you might say that it's deeper than just Devin Booker versus John Morantin when it comes to winning. The organizations themselves play a huge role, and you would be right. The Suns are an inept organization, and the Grizzlies, for the past mm, eight months, have been an incredibly adept organization. I mean, we have done nothing but maximize our our uh, our leverage, our assets. Like we got that massive, massive, massive trade exception. We got that massive, massive trade exception, and we utilized it to create so many other assets for us that I've completely lost track. If you want to know all the assets, just listen to Fast Break Breakfast. I'm pretty sure Keith says it on every episode. So we've turned Mike Conley's massive trade exception into a, a million assets. And this is just one of the other ways that we managed to turn one of our assets into even more very valuable assets. Gorgie Dang and Justice Winslow are very good young players to add to this core I actually went to Memphis and watched Damian Lillard and the Memphis Grizzlies uh, face off one another as the Portland Trailblazers came to town. And uh, unfortunately, Dame did get hurt, but I still enjoyed watching the game nonetheless. It was very competitive, very fun atmosphere, uh, lots of lobs in the beginning. None of that is neither here nor there. It's all to say that Gorgie Dang is incredible. If we can keep pulling players like Gorgie Dang out of nowhere, where... The media is telling this narrative of, oh, Memphis needs to buy out Andre Iguodala in order to maintain a respectable image to potential future free agents. No, we don't. What the fuck are you talking about? That's stupid. The fact that you think that it's a good idea to just say, bye, hope you maybe turn into something in the future when someone just respects this organization's decision-making ability. What? No, you gotta make shit happen. You can't just cross your fucking fingers and hope on faith that someone's gonna respect your prior actions and just do something honorable towards you in return. That doesn't make any fucking sense. This is Memphis. This isn't Miami or New York or Chicago where, oh, if we have a really good adept organization, we might have a chance of drawing superstars just because of our marketability. Marketability in Memphis versus Cleveland versus Orlando or whoever, really not that significantly less than the most major of markets. It's significant enough for that to be a factor in the most niche of scenarios, such as uh, Kevin Durant going to Golden State. You know, that was a case of a, 
of a major market with an incredibly adept organization with a very, very, very lucky opportunity. If they had done something wrong to some player in the past five years before then, where let's say Monte Ellis wanted out and they, they traded him instead of buying him out, I don't know. Do you think that's going to really affect Kevin Durant's decision that summer? I don't think so. This is all hypothetical. Our front office is incredible, and the Suns are not. But I don't think that is enough reason to keep John Morant out and put Devin Booker in. Because the difference in quality of play is just right there. Right there at the point where it's enough. To where I can confidently say, I think they made a mistake. I understand experience matters. I understand this is the name of the game. And I understand this fits historical trends. I'm not saying that, you know, this is something I would have bet money on. But I'm saying the right thing probably would have been to put John Morant in the All-Star game. Because Devin Booker sucks. Uh, moving on. So why are the Grizzlies so good? We talked a little bit about their, their young core. We talked a little bit about DeAnthony Melton. Uh, Brandon Clark, elite, doesn't miss a shot from inside the arc, seemingly. I mean, I've never seen it happen. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., getting better. One of the most elite three-point shooting big men, seemingly of all time this year. I mean, holy crap, he's doing so fucking good. And then even the younger guys, like, they were less important, like the Grayson Allens of the world. Like, we're getting some really, really stellar performances out of guys that you might not expect. We traded Bruno Caboclo for Jordan Bell. I mean, what? That's great. That's a super good move. Jordan Bell might look like the worst player in the NBA sometimes, but he has also been on the second all-rookie team. Second team all-rookie, or what the fuck ever that's called. Uh, Jordan Bell has potential. It's a nice little pickup. We, we, we made some moves. I'm really happy with how good the Grizzlies have been. Uh, let's talk about Dylan Brooks, though. We extended him, and I'm happy about it, believe it or not, because we got him at a bargain. I know I've been shitting on Dylan Brooks for like a year, but you know, as much as I hate Dylan Brooks in the moments which he deserves to be hated for playing incredibly knuckleheaded hero ball in game deciding moments, sometimes when he does that, the shots go in and it looks really good. And he's a really good defender and he doesn't mind being a secondary option. You know, he says, in a post-game interview after he has a career night, you know, if I can keep this up, it's going to open up a lot for John Jaron. And I love that. He's doing the right things. And also his story with Oregon and carrying them to the Final Four is super cool. So count me in. Now that we've extended him, count me in. I'm, I'm in on Dylan Brooks. To, to all the people on Twitter that, that really want to hear this, I'm in. I will continue to shit on Dylan Brooks ironically, but know that it is out of love. There's no honest hate there because even when he's being a knucklehead and taking 20 foot jumpers you know falling away from the basket with 20 seconds left in the shot clock sometimes they go in and if you want them to go in sometimes you gotta you, you gotta take you gotta take them in the first place right i mean so I, I can't really hate him i can't it just doesn't make sense so i'm in i like dylan brooks now so between our young core and the Really, really good front office, as well as the just incredible job of coaching, which Taylor Jenkins has done, where we're rotating 11 guys consistently and getting them all different minutes and being creative with the lineups. There's a couple lineups which are just absolutely devastating, which he seems to not 
pull out borderline intentionally. Like it's like, oh, it's we need some points. We actually want to win this game. Let's put in a uh, Tyus Jones and DeAnthony Melton and Brandon Clark. <laughs> but beyond just controlling the rotations, his schemes also seem to be pretty intelligent. I mean, he said he wanted to play pace and space at the beginning of the year. We're actually doing that. Uh, we're, we've got Jaron making hella open threes now, uh, as opposed to sticking his butt in the post for no fucking reason at JB Bickerstaff. Um, congratulations on the new head coaching job <laughs> in Cleveland. Isn't it funny how two of the things that I shit on the most Cleveland and John Blair Bickerstaff seem to come, come into harmony when they need each other the most. <laughs> Overall, the Grizzlies are just been outstanding. So I could honestly just sit here and have a little love fest for the Grizzlies is harp and harp and harp. Uh, like my boy, Mark danger. I could just, I could be like him and just uh, talk about the Grizzlies ad infinitum with infinite enthusiasm. So I have to limit it, which is why when the uh, video show comes out, we're going to have a segment where I intentionally limit the amount of time of Grizzlies, which I have to speak. It'll be called the moment of Grizz. I feel the need to reintroduce myself and to reintroduce the show. You know, honestly, my life is in a lot different place now. I'm in a lot different place now than I once was when I started this, or even when I was in the middle of this. You know, this is a... Things are a lot different than they were even six months ago. It's, life moves fast right now, so... I'm really happy to be here entertaining you guys. Almost as much as the Saturday night entertained me, because holy shit! I mean, I'm sure most of you guys know, but just to recap... In the dunk contest, I don't give a shit about the, the skill challenge or the three-point contest beyond the fact that they want me some money from gambling. Uh, shout out to Buddy Healed being plus 420 and the 420 gods looking out for me. And, and to the money ball rack. Shout out to the money ball rack. Well, All-Star Saturday Night is really mostly about the dunk contest for me. Always has been. I've loved the dunk contest as long as I've loved basketball. And this is one of the best. We had another double or triple overtime. And... It was just absolutely stellar. It appeared that the judges wanted it to be a tie, and the commentators were all talking about how it should be a tie. The whole feel in the room is that it should be a tie. But then, on the second to last dunk, it wasn't a 50. And so on the last dunk, the judges appeared to be looking around saying, okay, okay, we're going to score it the same way, we're going to tie it. I think that was a 10, though, says Candace Parker, so I'm going to score it a 10. Perhaps she leans over her left and right shoulders. Maybe just one. And says, one of you needs to give it a nine. It's possible that D-Wade misinterpreted this scenario to mean that he needed to be the one to score it lower than before. But more likely, in my opinion, Dwayne Wade intentionally sabotaged the attempt of tie between Orlando Magic... Yeah, Orlando Magic member... Yeah... Yeah, Orlando Magic team member <laughs> Aaron Gordon. How do like both of these guys actually have team names which are singular and plural if if you know what I mean? Like they don't have an S. Like you don't play the Orlando Magics or the Miami Heats. So I've, I've always wondered this, are they a Heat? Like there's a reason we say Heatle, right? Cuz it makes it sound like a thing. Like oh yeah, Derek Jones is a Heatle. It makes it sound like a singular thing. Is, or, is Aaron Gordon a magic? Is he a magician? Oh, yeah. All right, so Derek Gordon. <laughs> Derek, Derek Jones Jr., the Heedle, and Aaron Gordon, the magician, were supposed to tie, allegedly. But D-Wade sabotaged it 
prevented the tie. Even afterwards in the commentary, he said out loud, you know, there's no ties in the dunk contest or something to that degree. Like, there can't be a tie. It seemed to signal to me that he has this belief that ties are bullshit and sabotaged it intentionally because ties are kind of bullshit. There always is some level of separation. We just have to draw the line. That's all measurement is, is just deciding to separate things. So when you decide that there is a tie, you're just saying that you've failed to measure the thing in the way that you've described. So really, maybe maybe D-Wade is a hero. Maybe he's not a, a scandalous conspiratist. Conspiratist? Yeah, that's a word conspirator. There we go. <laughs> Maybe he's not conspiring against Aaron Gordon. Maybe he uh, just doesn't believe in ties. Uh, I think it would have been cool to have the first tie in history and it for, for it to involve those two guys, two of the best dunk contest performers who had previously never won, especially Aaron Gordon, who had endured the tie. It was really just one of the best dunk contests of all time. Uh, not quite up to 2016 or I believe it was 2007 and 2009 that I am particularly fond of. Uh, the whole Dwight versus Nate Robinson era I love, and the Gerald Green cupcake, cupcake dunk is the best dunk of all time. No question. I mean, come on. No, one, no one's ever going to do that again. If anyone ever does it again, they're going to win the whole thing. Straight up. I mean, it won't be perceived as creative, but there's a reason no one's ever done it. Gerald Green is probably the most creative dunker of all time. I mean, he dunked with no shoes on, and he blew out a candle on a cupcake on the back of a rim while dunking without disturbing the cupcake. I mean, come on. That is the epitome of creative dunking. Gerald Green might have been destined to be a, a dunker rather than a hooper. I mean, he hoops. Make no mistake. I like Gerald Green. He's good. But there's a reason he's not on the team. Not on a team right now. Just like uh, Nick Young and and the like. If you didn't enjoy All-Star Saturday night, then you certainly enjoyed All-Star Sunday, in which the actual game was played. We had this new Elam ending, E-L-A-M, Elam ending, and uh, it was one which was designed to honor Kobe Bryant, uh, where each team played to their 24th point in the quarter, in the fourth quarter. The score was reset at the end of each quarter, and it basically turned the All-Star game into what it has always been, and that is a mere show for three quarters, and then a competition for one. Except, it enhanced it. It really made it better. People were complaining about it being complicated, unless you were M.E.O. from the NBA Storyteller. And and I think people just didn't think it through, because it, it seems pretty obvious that this is a good idea. I mean, you make it a pickup game at the end, and you say the score doesn't matter through three? Is anybody worried about the competitive integrity of the first three quarters of the NBA All-Star game? I think not. So this is a really good idea. It came down to a historic finish. I mean, it was Anthony Davis on the free throw line, who allegedly missed the first one on purpose to give himself uh, more pressure on the second one. I don't believe that for a second, but I mean... Whatever. Anthony Davis is totally the type to just say that shit. He's on clutch. He knows how to relate to the media in a very LeBron-esque way. That's why they're on the Lakers together. They're buddies. They LeBron likes to take guys and, and show him the way. Show him the way of, of true player empowerment. And I'm not against it at all. In fact, I'm all for it. I'm just saying... It means Anthony Davis is probably the type to lie about missing the first free throw on purpose. 
I mean, it was a bad miss, but it wasn't so bad to where it looked on purpose, you know? It hit the back of the rim, but it didn't, like, clunk off the back of the rim. It, it looked like he wanted to make it after, after he missed it, too. Like, he was kind of like, ah, maybe it's his muscle memory to miss. And go, ah, you know. Who knows? It came down to dramatic ending, uh, game-winning free throw. All, all very enjoyable. Team LeBron wins it. I wish Team Giannis would have won it because I bet on the MVP of the game and did not win that bet. I, I broke away even. This is a win for me. I should have just took my $100 and ran, though. But we're getting a little long now. I'm going to be back doing this more consistently. Like I said, I'm uh, sorry if you're expecting consistent content as I did. Hold myself accountable via my season one finale where I set goals and said that you could find them on my pen tweet. And this, no bullshit, this sounds like a lie. I'm not a dishonest fucking person. I, I know a lie when I hear one. I sincerely, accidentally deleted my pen tweet because I tried to go and delete my most recent tweet and the app had some sort of little bug where I went to select the tweet at the top of my timeline, but my pinned tweet had not yet loaded. And the moment I pressed the drop-down menu to bring up the option to delete the tweet was the same moment in which the uh, pinned tweet decided to load. And also, I was a little fucked up and just, like, hanging out with my friends. So, like, it was just, like, a two-way stupid fuck-up. And so, uh, that tweet is not there anymore. Uh, so, it looks like I'm trying to dodge my accountability. but. That's why I've left the, the episode up. Uh, not that I was ever even considering deleting it. Although, I did consider it after I deleted that pinned tweet. Instead, I choose to confess the truth here on uh, whichever episode of Season 2 this is. And this is the first episode which I'm recording alone since that episode. And actually planning on publishing anyway. Anyway, I appreciate your patience. Um, thank you again to Rusty and Mojo for letting me edit their show. Uh, shout out to everyone else who's ever helped me along the way. And shout out to all you guys who are listening. Uh, enjoy the rest of the season of Hustle Points. And I hope you have a great day. God, who the fuck am I? I'm not Ben, ben Taylor from Thinking Basketball. I don't want you to have a good day. Fuck you. I don't want that at all. I'm just kidding. I do. Thank you for listening. I'm useless.